Thanks be to God as we are in the last week of our series, Healing Hearts and Strengthening Homes. Uh, we're in an interesting spot where uh, in our culture there's a movie that came out, Sound of Freedom, and, and some interesting thoughts about if you should see it or not and who's involved. The bottom line is there's sin in the world and Satan's ruling and kids are being stolen and sold. And, and so they, obviously a lot of people went out and saw it. Um, people that said go see other things that supported the sexualization of young kids are saying don't go see it. Uh, and movie theaters, or local theaters, like hey, this is working, people are coming to see it, let's leave it in there for another week. So if you haven't seen it, if that's something you wanna do, a lot of people that go see it already are kind of aware of that issue. It's one of those preaching to the choir. But I thought we'd start just in prayer as we're talking about parenting today uh, and God's sovereignty. So many things are at work and Jesus said it would get harder and darker, but it'd be excited because he's coming back to get us in those days. So it's the kind of weird, how do you pray in these days, especially as a parent, but we pray nonetheless. So will you join me as we pray? God, we, we are to be keeping our eyes fixed on you and our knees bent and our heads bowed before you as we surrender the desire in the heart of all the parents and grandparents and, and those who are spiritual parents and grandparents in, the, in, in this place, longing for those kids who've been taken, sold, abducted, hurt, abused, verbally, physically, that you'd rescue, redeem, restore. And, and Lord, you use, even in your word, you use people that don't believe in you, don't agree with you, and yet you use them to accomplish your purpose to bring about men and women to know you and draw close to you. And it's amazing that you can use all things and all people, even those who are against you, you cause it to work out for your good and for your glory. And Lord, we pray that that would be the case, that you'd save these kids that have been taken. We pray that you'd redeem and open hearts and eyes of the parents in the room to see how they can make disciples and parent their kids to stand up for injustice and stand for righteousness in a day that that is calling that good, evil, and evil good. And Lord, that we'd have wisdom and discernment in Jesus' name, amen. So why I hate parenting, it's the title for the sermon. Because to start off, growing up, I thought parenting would be awesome. I mean, we grew up in a time where station wagons, parents would just throw the kids in the back seat and take off. Like, it was awesome. My other friend, if you weren't in the station wagon family, you were in the truck family. I don't know why they had two massive Chevys, because only one was a contractor. The mom wasn't, but she had to have one too. And they just threw us in the truck bed threw our lawn chairs in there and just held on for the ride. You know, it was kind of survival of the fittest. That was my first introduction to evolution. If you survived in the backseat of a station wagon or a Chevy truck, you're good to go. Second thing, parenting in the 80s was a lot easier. If you wanted the phone to stop ringing, you just took it off the hook. You know, the older generation, their phone blows up and they're going, they're trying to find the phone to take it off the hook. There's all the buttons and things and it's like, yeah, I feel for you, I get it. It's a simpler time back then. If you wanted to listen in on your kids' phone calls, you just picked up the other phone in the house. It was so easy. It was so much better to be a parent then. When you wanted to go to the beach, you didn't have all the sunscreen, who gets the SPF 20, 50, what's it gonna feel like? You didn't care, you just went to the beach. The sun was good for you, you soaked it all up. 
You didn't have to worry about filters and internet blockers. They had one screen and everyone gathered around and you knew what was on. There was one TV in the house. And lastly, it was so easy to see what your kids were listening to because you had the cassette tapes and CD cases. That was such a simpler time to be a parent. Bottom line though, I hate parenting because the world has fallen. We parent in a place that is everywhere you turn. I had no clue of all the evils that were lurking around every corner as a kid. And the reality that as, as kids that we grew up, we were corrupted by our own sin nature. I hate that my kids were born into a world that their idolatrous passions and lies they believed are so destructive. And a lot of those lies they're believing are the ones I believed for very long for a long time as well. And I hate that their hearts are kidnapped by those idolatry ideas and worshiping good things, especially those things that God gave. And you just look at the gift that God gave and you worship that as God. And and it's in their heart and you see that come out. But at the same time as I hate parenting in that context, I love parenting in that context because it brings me to the cross. It should bring us to the cross. It drives me to grace. Seeing the idea of grace as something that is freely receiving what we don't deserve. It's a free gift that we don't deserve. We can't earn it. Ephesians 2 shares with us that we're spiritually dead, but it's by grace that he saved us. It's a free gift. And it drives us to receive his mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. And that's the idea we're going to really camp on that idea of mercy and how do we have our home and our parenting marked by Jesus' mercy. But first we have to recognize that we don't have the ability to change the world around us. As much as we could stir things up and share things or see things, it's like, oh, the reality is I'm one person and I really, I can't even change myself from desiring sin. How am I going to change someone else or stop someone or rescue someone or deliver my kids or change my kid's heart to desire to do good. That's where we run into behavior modification. And even looking at this sermon, it's like, I have no clue what to give you. And then I'm like, ooh, let's go to the law and I'll tell you how to parent and have better boundaries and have better routines. And no, that's just modifying behavior. But it's all about heart transformation, which is beyond me. It's beyond you. And, and that's where we feel and experience our limitation. We don't have the ability to rescue ourselves nor them from destructive idolatry. If I could and if you could, then Jesus didn't need to come. And that's where we see the reality of idolatry as we worship a thing, we worship the creation, not the creator. And we look at Jesus and are like, oh, why'd you come? We, are, we have a bunch of gods to worship. We have a bunch of things to worship. We have a bunch of We can find our identity in other things. I can make up my own identity. And so it brings a lot of people to a place of hopelessness if they've been looking for their identity. And now the culture says, yeah, you don't even know who you are or what you are. Just good luck figuring it out. And you're like, what? At least I thought I had some sort of moral black and white, but now black's white and white's black. I don't know what to do. But the reality is we have hope if we put our hope in Jesus. But yes, you are hopeless and there is no way to get a bearing until you put your hope in Jesus. There is grace for our struggle and there is mercy for your failures as a parent. 
And there's no system or law. And, and the question we need to address first before we really camp on the idea of mercy is when should I enforce law and when should I give grace? So whether you're a parent with biological kids or you're, you've been adopted into the family, God's family, and you're kind of a parent spiritually over kids or youth ministry, this tension of law and grace. And I remember, you know, my parents, we didn't have a whole lot of law. We had a good, decent balance. And then I had a youth leader that was all about law. And I was like, man, I'm so glad my parents are not a jerk like that guy. I can't wait to go back home where I have some grace. Like, this is nuts. Who is this? You in the, you don't, you don't even an army or drill sergeant. You don't have an excuse. You're just a jerk. Like, at least you could have served in the armed forces and had, like, discipline. But you have none of that. You just want to be, because you're older, like, abuse us verbally or discipline. Like, what's going on? This is Hume. It's supposed to be fun. But the, the reality is, the problem is that it divides the two that are attention to manage, not a problem to solve. It's not, is it law or grace? It's how do we understand the law in light of God's grace? Because the history in Scripture, when God gives his kids the law, they had just been in slavery for 430 years. They had no idea how to live a free life in relation to God. And so God, in his grace, gives them the law. They didn't know how to walk with God. They didn't know how to live in freedom. So God gave them the law because all they saw was an idolatrous, selfish culture. And God said, okay, we're not going to live like the world. We're going to live how I called you. So think about this. His law was grace. It was an act of beautiful loving grace that God gave his law to his kids. Grace is a way of bringing guidance and authority through God's wisdom to his kids. Grace is not suspending or opposing the law. Grace is not rejecting authority, but grace is walking within those boundaries. Grace is the way that you walk within the law. So as you explain the law and the way of obedience to your kids then it's how you live within those same boundaries. They see you bumping up against those boundaries and they see you going off the cliff through the guardrail at times. But are you gonna be arrogant and say, no, no, that never happened. It's like, no, I see the wreck at the bottom of the crevasse. You, you clearly went out of bounds here that you said I should follow versus if you're humbly confessing, yep, I blew it, let's get the wreck out. Jesus needs to bring the crane, pick up this mess, restore it, redeem it, will you forgive me, I blew it. And your kids are like, oh, that's how that works. That whole grace thing you're telling me about. It's interesting that the, the most clearest picture of this is as I was struggling to understand grace, a pastor said when his daughter came home and got an F on, on the assignment, and, and she, in, in addition to that, she disobeyed and, and, and went out, broke curfew, and her room was a mess. So a three-strike rule, not just in California, it was before that happened, it was in their home too. It was a big bummer. Like, you, you're in... You're facing serious consequences. You're grounding. It's going to be a mess. And he walks in furious. And he's like, hey, I know you blew it. You got an F. You're supposed to get your grade up. You didn't clean your room. And you didn't come home on time. Let's go get some ice cream. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's grace right there. Getting something you don't deserve. I was like, man, I can't wait to have a, a, a son. That's going to be awesome. He's going to love me. It's going to be great. As Jen and I talked about parenting, it was like, no, there needs to be a healthy understanding of the law. We can't give grace all the time. But we don't want to just be so 
self-righteous and, and drop the hammer and be here, justice, justice. You, we want to have that balance. So how do you do that? And it's, it's in prayer. Starts with prayer, continue in prayer, and ends with prayer. Is this a time where I can introduce grace? Rather than modify their behavior and just, oh, you blew it, punishment. Oh, you blew it, discipline. Uh, that works for a time when they're very young and you need to control and introduce law. But then as they get older, it's time to let them fail and allow the failure and go, okay, let's learn forgiveness in this failure. Let's learn about God's grace. And oftentimes, grace and mercy are confused, but they just need a lot of mercy. <laughs> they don't need ice cream all the time. They mess up. A lot of it's, hey, you, you blew it and you should be grounded the rest of your life and never leave this house. And we're going to dig a dungeon for you because you messed up so many times and I'm so angry, but it's mercy. It's okay. You're disciplined and you're grounded for a day instead of a month. I'm going to give you mercy and I'm not going to give you what, what you deserve. And teaching a mercy is that God staying his hand, not giving us destruction when we sin. Grace is in addition to saving us, he gives us the inheritance of Christ, the perfect life of Christ, the Holy Spirit to guide us, to gift us, to empower us to accomplish his purpose. That's grace. Mercy is, hey, I'm not going to destroy you, I'm going to save you. Grace is because of my salvation, I'm going to sanctify you, empower you, grow you, build you. And, and give us something we don't deserve, which is why it's so important to have, have that both and understand law is you sinned, you need to die. But my grace is sufficient for you that it's gonna save you and my mercy is what stayed my hand of destruction. We see this all throughout scripture. Psalm 23, six, so I'll give you three examples. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 28, 6, blessed is the Lord for he has heard my voice of my pleas for mercy. In Psalm 40, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. As we talk about Jesus and, and God and the Spirit, pursuing us and giving us that, that love that never ends and that mercy that's new every morning. Jesus adds this word picture and, and, and he tells it to us in, in Matthew 7, giving us this idea of building your life and building your, your life as, as, a, as your house and then building the church and, and, and the connection of both and really the challenge and tension this to be, to be managed is the challenge of building your home and the church. So as, as husband and wife and as a family, you're supposed to be caring and leading your house, but then how is that household of faith being woven into the church, serving and being served? And that's something that we haven't really, we've just kind of assumed as an American culture, but haven't really, as we've seen in scripture, Jesus calls us for both. It's not just, hey, take care of your house, which Paul says, if you, if you don't take care of your household, you're worse than an unbeliever. But then he's talking about now you're woven and built up into the church. And Jesus shares this in, in Matthew 7, that anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So listening to Jesus' words and then doing them, which again brings us to the cross because we can't obey without a new heart and a new mind. He says in verse 25, the rain's going to fall and the 
Floods are going to come and the winds are going to blow and beat against the house, but your house is built on the rock will not fall because it's founded on the rock. In verse 26, he says, whoever hears the words and doesn't do them, then when the rain falls, floods came, winds blow, beat against the house, the house is going to fall down because it's built on the sand. Paul explains this further in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, when he's saying, when you're no, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure. So the rock is Jesus, and then the prophets and the apostles learning God's word, we're building our home and connecting it to the church. He says, this whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God always was looking for his people to dwell with them in that relationship. That's why when he gives his people the law, he gives it to them through grace and empowers them by his grace to walk with them. And second. Timothy three sixteen through 17 is all scriptures God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So every good work we need to see in our home and in the church, it's building both, and it's that tension which we all felt, especially as, as guys. It's like, okay, the church needs stuff, but our home needs stuff. And so managing that, balancing that, okay, what priority am I putting on on my marriage and my family, but then what about this need that's come up in the church and how do I serve other people? And, and allowing your kids to see that and see that example of being in the community of believers as often and as much as possible. And that's where the disciples, the word disciple means a humble servant fully devoted to following Jesus. And that image of a disciple being covered in the dust of the rabbi, the rabbi being Jesus, the teacher and his disciples would follow him so closely that the dirt his sandals kicked up would cover them. If you've ever been in a barn, we were helping someone do some, some kind of gathering of, of flowers and, and the kids love to do what kids do. I don't know how innately, they're just such a sinner to the core. Whenever there's fine dust, they love to just do that little shuffle. And it's like, man, I was that sinner. Like I loved to cause the fine particles of dust to go in the air so adults could breathe them. And it was hysterical to them. And they would run away and like somehow they would run into the fresh air and leave all of us. And it's like, oh, we're like dying of dust. So that's the image of a disciple it was you would follow Jesus so closely that the dust his feet would kick up would cover you. Do your kids see that in you? Do your kids see that modeled by you in your home and your priority of Christ's home, the church, and how we're being built together? And that's a challenge. I mean, I just talked to a guy before service. It's like, man, on my work schedule and then my kids' schedule, and then I want to prioritize being a Bible study, like all this stuff. It's the challenge. We have to just sit here and go, yeah, we have to pray and expect God to explain this and walk this out for us because each one of our family schedules is going to be different, but yet the call is for us to be joined together. And it's this spiritual building metaphor that we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Right away when the gospel goes out, the apostles are teaching in verse 42 and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers that they were devoted to. 
These were humble servants, fully devoted to following Jesus for the first time. They were on vacation to come kill their pet lamb, which some of you are going to do at the Mid-State Fair. They did this because they thought that would help postpone their sin payment, and, and that's their vacation. They were like, sweet, Mid-State Fair time, but it was in Jerusalem, so it was like, you know, center of the world for religion time, brought the lamb in, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? We don't have to kill our sweet Sally? This is awesome. My youngest daughter's going to be so thrilled. Jesus died. Let's go hang out at, at Peter's house. And they're hanging out at Peter's, and Peter's like, I don't have any more backpacking air mattresses. Like, I, I have two. You guys took them all, and I, you ate all my food. So then these other people that came, and they're like, hey, this is my fifth house. I have a full other house over here. Some family couldn't make it this year. So they sold everything, and they used used every asset they could to care for those who just accepted Jesus. That's the context. That's how the church started. That's what it was marked by mercy. They were, they were realizing, I just received mercy. I just received grace. So as freely as I've received, freely I'm going to give to any and all who believe in Jesus and are gathering. And that's why it says when they were gathering, listening to the apostles teach for fellowship, breaking of bread, verse 43, awe came upon every soul. Because you see that tension, and all of a sudden it's like people are walking in going, hey, I have a summer home over here. Hey, I got another house over here. Hey, here's this food. I don't know. I just thought I should come give you. And everyone's needs are being met. Everyone's in awe of the God who's providing. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. Single moms has, has been a focus here as we've identified a number of them that have needs. And, and we have one that's looking for uh, a room, or a, not a room, a house, because some things are moving and she's, she's in need of a house by the end of the month. And that need was presented last Sunday at the end of church. Someone's in passing, hey, pastor, there's this need. It's like, that's a big need. And if we weren't here together, I didn't get a phone call. It was in person. And it reminded me of in person, we, we are called to gather. And it's this weird tension where it's like, actually, you can just sit on the back of a truck in the wilderness and you can have church. It's like, well, that single mom would be homeless then if we didn't gather as a church and look around and go, okay, who has a need? Okay, she does. Okay, you're sick. You need prayer. You have cancer. Okay, you need healing and you need food and you need housing and you need healing. And we, we have these needs, but that comes out when we're together. And then we have the resources together as we pray to see how God's going to answer. Hume Lake is a good example. It's like we want to send our students to Hume and a lot of people, a lot of you guys prayed, a lot of you gave money and gave jobs to students to work. Like a lot of those things were shared and and one of those students that gave their lives to the Lord was a full sponsorship, full scholarship to go. And that's pretty amazing that we as a church are that generous in everything. But it's when we come together, then we can provide those opportunities that, that we don't even know God's going to use, but we do trust that he's going to use our obedience. Day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. In verse 47, Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So we see the challenge of building your home and the church on the Lord and the tension that's going to create. Secondly, we see Paul teaches us to obey Jesus. That was awesome. Everyone's there seeking God. 
thousands get saved. They're having this amazing thing. Years later, um, Paul's fulfilling what Jesus promised. Paul, you're going to go tell people about Jesus, and I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. Uh, anyone come to know Christ and that was the next thing you heard from the Lord? No? Okay, me neither. So it's just amazing. Like when you read scripture, everyone thinks you're not qualified, you don't know enough, you're not good enough, and you read that and God's like, hey, Saul, so I'm glad you're following me now. I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. Go. And Paul's like, done, let's go. And he said, we must give thanks in all circumstances. And he says this to the church in Ephesus 4, 20 through 25, that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The old self that's corrupt and deceitful desires, put that off and put on the new self with your heart being transformed, your mind thinking Jesus is thoughts and your hands and feet desiring to do the things God's called you to do. That's the big word, sanctification. You're looking more like Christ and that's God's work in and through you as that guy from Hume that was saying, it's when you're obedient and trusting God and humbly saying, I'm a humble servant, fully devoted to following you. That's when God takes over and begins that transformation process. In verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put any falsehood away, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. We're members of one another to build each other up. And that's where our homes are to be as we follow Jesus' example and taught the way of Jesus, putting away the old, walking in the new, the victorious life, focused on his plan, fulfilling his purpose, not trying to discover our own purpose, but when we follow his way and surrender to his purpose, so often his answer is just keep being obedient and not yet, not yet. Very few he says yes, but so often it's not yet. And, and it's amazing, when we seek his kingdom first, he does give us the desires of our heart. First, he changes the desires of our heart to be for him, but then he gives us the good things that we delight in. And it's amazing because when we think about parenting, it's not behavior modification, it's heart transformation. So as we go to the foot of the cross and realize I'm a sinner and I need that grace, I need that mercy, then we can go into our parenting and say, okay, you need grace and you need mercy just as I did, but I received it from Jesus, now I can give it to you. And so as we mark our home with mercy, we'll be able to speak the truth, not just with our neighbor, but with our kids first. And when friends are over, other kids are over, they're going to feel at peace and have comfort because they're going to have a, a home marked with mercy. So this third point, marking your home with mercy, experiencing mercy. How do you do that as a parent? How do we, how do we mark our homes with the mercy of Jesus? First, look for every opportunity to shower your children with grace. There's so many times where you'll have a list of, okay, this, our son has 10 things we gotta work on. Instead of focusing on all the things we gotta work on, focus on every opportunity to be, to be showering with grace. Hey, you blew it, you, you broke curfew, your room's a mess, and you got an F, let's go get ice cream. It's like, look for those opportunities where it's like, okay, this is, this is gonna be few and far between, 
where we can do an extent, you know, extenuated, exaggerated grace experience, but there are moments when you can give grace, and it's appropriate to teach that and leverage that because you're introducing them to the gospel practically, daily. Hey, I'm preaching the gospel to myself. Here's how I blew it. Here's how I received God's grace. You blew it. Here's how you received God's grace. Let's keep coming to the cross. Secondly, remind your heart each morning to rest in the presence and power of your heavenly father. It's the presence and the power of Jesus that's gonna empower you to be the parent, to be patient when you wanna jump down their throat. And it's like, this is the 10th thing I need you to work on. But mom and I agreed we're gonna work on number one and two with you. Like, that's it, we're just gonna start one and two, but you just, it's like, okay, I'm resting, that God's not in a hurry, and we're gonna, we're gonna see God work these things out, but I'm, I'm just gonna rest, that it's his presence, his power, and the biggest way for them to see the gospel and experience mercy is when you blow it and you blast through that guardrail and you break the law and then you come and, and you're like, hey, I blew it. I totally blew up at you. Hey, I spoke too harshly to you. I didn't show up on time when I said I would. I know that really hurt your feelings. And, and when you're willing to confess your faults, that's the, that's the fastest way to, to peel back the layers and realize, okay, you're, you're, you might be an authority over me, mom and dad, but you're just as big of a sinner. Yep, I'm just as big of a sinner, and I need just as much grace as you do. I need just as much mercy. I need that thing I don't deserve, and I need God's hand to stay the wrath that I do deserve. Let's, can you forgive me? And I love, especially my kids are very verbal, and, and they're very articulate, sometimes more than I am at times. And so it's so hard to communicate at times about these big things, especially as kids, like, get this theology of God's love and grace for you. They're like, what? Can we go play bubbles? Or can you just pitch the ball to me? Like, I just don't, I, what are we doing? Can we watch a show? But when I blow it, and I humbly confess, hey, I blew it, they're like, oh, so you're not as cool as you think you are. Okay, just make sure we all understand that, Dad. And then it's like, yeah, you're right. He needs Jesus just as much as I do. And we root all that we require, say, and do in the wonderful wisdom of Scripture. Anytime we can go back and, and explain Scripture, it was cool. We were moving those flower boxes, and then we're reading that verse where Jesus really gets intense. And he says, unless you're harvesting with me, you're scattering against me. And it was like, man, if we weren't pulling those boxes out, then essentially they would just rot, and it would just be like scattering and wasting those resources, and my son got to visually see that and be a part of that. But we're rooting it in scripture and going, okay, how are we processing why we're going to church, why we're serving people, why we're caring and loving, even when it costs us? Well, because God said that's the one thing we're supposed to do, is go tell everybody about him. Which is, a, I mean, that's a pretty easy thing to do, right? Just go to the entire world, tell everyone about Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then the second part of that command is super easy too. It just makes sure they obey everything because we've done that, right? Like we've got that down so easily just hand off what we, it's like Jesus, you could have, no wonder the disciples were like, uh, are you going to come back anytime? Because I'm just a little bit more information would be great right now. Like just a little bit more clarification. I'm always, I always laugh when you get the Ikea box and you pull out the instruction manual that's pretty thick, and then it shows all these weird things, and you're like, none of that lines up with what I have. I don't really know. I'm just gonna go back to the glue and my screw gun and just make this work. Like, this is... But Jesus gave us his word, 
and he gave us his Holy Spirit. And that's where we, we have to be patient and wait and not look at those opportunities like a hassle. Because so much of the time, we look at 18 as a parent and we're like, how do we get them there as fast as we can and as fully developed as we can? And, and yet these opportunities God gives where they blow it or they sin or they break God's law and, it, and it's like, oh, now I have to go parent them. Oh, it's so exhausting. That's why he gave you kids. That's why you're a parent. That's why you signed up as a middle school or a high school leader for the week to, to, to spiritually parent these kids. And it's, even as a youth pastor, it was like, yeah, this is an opportunity to share the gospel though. This is why we're here. But so often in the hurry, we look at it as a, ha- as a hassle because we're trying to get to where we want to go and we miss what God's prepared us to share and, and, and so that they could get to know God. And that's where we, the only way to really do that and look at these opportunities, not as hassles, is to be slow to anger and quick to forgive, which I'm sure we've all, that's, we'll just skip over that. We all have that down real quick. Be slow to anger. You think about that when anyone has been in authority over you and they're slow to anger, you're like, oh, I blew it. How am I going to, oh, this is so good. They're slow to anger. They're giving me mercy. This is what I need right now. And then you're quick to forgive. And then when they've received that from you, guess how they're going to treat their brother or sister? They're going to be quick to anger and they're not going to forgive. It's, it's just how it goes. Sin runs deep and it dies hard. But thankfully, God's good. And his grace and mercy are there for you to help correct. And that's like, we just went through this with you. How are you treating them? Oh, because you're deeply thinking you're in authority, not only of parents, but also kids. But if we're punting that down the road, that just turns into, hey, I want to eat all the sugar I can, to, hey, I want to smoke all the weed I can, and hey, you should buy it for me, Dad. Hey, you should just be okay with how I want to live my life. But are we just, no, don't eat sugar. No, don't smoke weed. Law, just, or is it, hey, let me help you understand how human flourishing, let me help you understand why the law is this way. Stealing from your neighbor is not going to end well. Lying's not going to end well. Like these things are put in place for you to flourish and thrive. And lastly, pray before, during, and after, because parent is really all about praying without ceasing. Before your kids are born and long after they leave your home, you're always praying for them. We see Ephesians five twenty one through thirty. The example that you set as you love your kid's mom. It says in verse 23, husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The way that you treat your wife and the way you treat your husband sets the tone for, hey, this is the law of love. And we're going to give each other grace and we're going to give each other what they don't deserve. And when they hurt me, I'm going to give them mercy and I'm not going to react. And that's the most visual experience of marking your home by mercy is how you treat your spouse and setting the tone. I don't know if you've ever, maybe it's just for us, but anytime we kind of get in a conversation and we share opinions, our kids are always the referees, like flags get thrown. It's like, what do you don't even like football, Harper? Like, where'd you get that flag? She's like, well, foul over here. It's like, no, I'm in, that was not a foul. Like, let me go through what a foul is. Like, we're good. We're just sharing some opinions. But it's reminded, the best image of love and grace and law is how you treat one another. So what needs to change in your home to model God's mercy more clearly? 
Is it being at church and serving one another? Is it how you talk? Is it how quickly you forgive? Is it sharing devotions? We had to move it from bedtime because everyone's exhausted. We're all running crazy. We went like from 10 miles an hour to like 75 miles an hour the past couple of years. I don't know how that happened, but we just ran through some gears. So we're like, okay, bring the Bible study into dinner. At least we're all, sugars are going, our eyes are open, and we can engage and talk about God's word. And so Jesus Storybook Bible was our intro. We've moved on and we're, we're going through Matthew just chapter by chapter. And it's great. But families that are living in close proximity, modeling their faith, what needs to change in your home to model God's mercy more? When we have God's word as a part of our conversation, it's easy to come back to it and go, oh, you broke God's law, here's grace. Oh, here, let me give you mercy. Let's explain these ideas. Transparency, getting counselors, getting a life group, a Bible study, men or women to encourage you in this journey, it's essential. It's essential. 